Good morning, and good morning to everyone at home or wherever you might be. So, it's just good, good, and it's great to worship Jesus together. It's just wonderful, isn't it? Just to declare all that he is, and that's what we're going to be doing, actually, as we uh, open up uh, the Bible together. So, what do we long for? Okay. What do you long for? Okay, you are allowed to participate through your masks. You just need to raise your voice slightly louder. But imagine a cold, wintry, wet day in Cumbria. I know that's very difficult to imagine. But imagine it. What do you long for? Snow, warm fire, sunshine. Snow, sunshine, warm fire. There we go. I- imagine a hot dry, thirsty day in Cumbria. It happens. What do you long for? Beer. 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 Okay. I I just want to say for the benefit of those who are listening in that uh, that actually, you know, that came from the over 18-year-old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, it kind of circumstances, what do you long for? How about being stuck in a traffic jam? What do you long for? (laughs) <laughs> toilet <laughs> that did that came from experience that was too quick that answer and, uh, and just imagine being lost what do you long for a map well that may not help <laughs> okay but anyway it, it says longing is a it's a powerful attitude of the heart It affects our emotions, it affects uh, our thinking, and also it it even affects our our actions. And as we read through the Old Testament, it's basically full of longings. There's a deep, deep, deep longing for something to happen uh, that will put actually all things right. And there's all sorts of promises, there's all sorts of prophecies, and there's all sorts of stories that are are pointing forward to one day. One day, something will happen. In fact, someone will come who will put everything right. And of course, we know his name. His name is Jesus. And that's what really at this time of Advent is about, is to remind us, really, of some of the scriptures that point forward to Jesus, although we now know Jesus has come. We celebrate his birth, but we're going to be looking at one of those scriptures that point us forward so we can realise when he came, what he did, who he was, and how he outworked being the answer to our greatest need and our greatest problem. But there's also longings in the New Testament that still point forward. They tell us that Jesus has come, that longed-for one has come, but these other longings still point us forward to say that there's still something yet to happen that will bring the finality, the, the ultimate kind of conclusion of everything being put right. And of course, that is Jesus' second coming. And Advent is about both those things. It's about the coming. The word actually means the coming of Jesus. And, and, and today we want to really focus on a scripture 
that actually is going to then focus us on a certain aspect of his coming that just maybe we don't give enough attention to. Last week, we looked at the virgin birth, and we often look at his ministry. Read about all that in the Gospels. We certainly look at his death. We look at the resurrection. But in all of that, there's one aspect that maybe we don't give enough attention to, and it's this, his life. How he actually lived. So let's read Isaiah 53. And uh, so I've not got these scriptures. Oh, I've got one scripture, okay? But uh, I'm just going to read the scriptures around it, which starts in verse 6. And then we're going to focus on this one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Just repeat that last verse. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now we know Isaiah 53, it focuses on the death, the suffering of the Lord Jesus. It is so clear. It's one of the the kind of most powerful scriptures that we read about that points us forward that we now, has now been fulfilled on the cross. But somehow in all of that focus on his suffering, we've got this verse. So there was no, he did, he done, (laughs) he did no violence, no deceit in his mouth. It's easy to jump over that, but what it does, it focuses us on his life. No violence, no defeat, no no, no deceit. In other words, outward peace, no violence, outward peace and purity, no deceit, characterize his life. No deceit. Everything he said was true and it was rooted in the deepest recesses of his inner being. He was completely trustworthy. There was no contradiction, no hypocrisy, no double standard. There was a purity of truth in this man, Jesus. No deceit. And then, no violence. A bit later, if we read in the Gospels, we can read him giving this invitation to the weary. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. Come unto me and find rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. No violence. 
the king of all, gentle and lowly in heart. He ruled by love, not by force. These are powerful truths that just begin to open the window into the very life of Jesus, into how he lived. And in fact, our statement of faith, it sums it up in the words, Jesus lived a sinless life in obedience to the Father. Jesus lived a sinless life in obedience to the Father. He was sinless and fully obedient. And we need to keep those two things together. Jesus shone with a beauty of holiness and it was highly attractive. It was highly attractive. People were drawn to him, especially those who, were, who knew their sin, who knew their dark secrets, who, who, who were broken lives. Actually, they were drawn to him. He shone and they were drawn to the light. There's a beauty to him. There was an attractiveness. There was something profoundly trustworthy about this Jesus. There's no deceit in him. That's why children loved being with him. They kind of suss that stuff out. This man's true. I can trust him. We've got to understand the, the weight of this, the sinless and obedience. There's a beauty to it. There's an attractiveness. Years and years, a long, long time ago, when I was a student, I, I was in a philosophy lecture. Sounds impressive, doesn't it? I didn't attend many. But I was there, and, I, and the philosophy lecturer, somehow he wandered, oh, goodness knows how he did it, but he wandered on to talking about holiness. And basically, I'd just come back to, I'd just come back to Jesus. I, I'd kind of, I'd been a rebel. I'd come back to God, and it was all very new, all very fresh. And suddenly, this philosopher, philosophy lecturer is he, kind of basically talking about holiness. And, and, and he, he comes to this conclusion, and he says, he basically dismisses it. And he dismisses it as something sterile, as something boring. Uh, as something uh, just cold. And almost the conclusion has come to, well, where's the fun in that? Like the fun belongs out there. Now, sadly, that's what a lot of people think. Both in the world and actually in the church. That's what a lot of people view on holiness. It's, it's almost like a, a sterile thing. It's like a germ-free environment. And in my heart, when I was listening to the lecture, I was thinking, no, no, this is wrong. But I had no idea how to answer it. I kind of think, you know, it was all, I thought, I know this is wrong, but I don't know, how, I don't know the answer. Sometimes I, 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 it's actually a conversation I, I replay in my mind. Not a lot, but sometimes I think, how would I answer now? What would I say now? 
And part of the answer is found in, actually in our statement of faith when it talks about that Jesus was sinless and obedient. The two are linked. That actually Jesus knew the joy of obedience. You see, sinlessness isn't just this disconnected state. It's the result of a pure relationship. It's rooted in love. It results in joy. There's another verse in, in the New Testament, which is this, that Jesus, um, you have hated wickedness and loved righteousness, therefore God has anointed you with joy above all of your companions. Jesus was sinless and obedient and the most joy-filled person that's ever walked this planet. There is nothing sterile about that. It was an expression of his love for the Father, uh, a verse uh, that, which expressed that so well out of Jesus' own mouth just before the crucifixion where he says to his disciples, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of the world is coming. Fascinating this. Okay, the ruler of the world is coming, speaking about the cross where, where Satan thinks he has his day. He has no claim on me. Sinless. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world might know I love the Father. You see, obedience is the language of love. It pulsates with joy. So when we read about Jesus sinless and obedient, it is highly attractive. And it was attractive to, to those who knew their lives were in a mess. It also was also, it exposed hearts. It, it exposed sins. So Peter, on his early encounters with Jesus, he falls to his knees and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. So like light, it, it attracts, but it exposes. But it also challenges those who prefer to hold on to deceit. So the religious leaders of their times who embraced an outward form of righteousness, who embraced kind of, you know, just a veneer of looking right, they hated it. They hated it. They hid from it. They hid from the light. Jesus shines with a righteousness and a holiness. And the prophecies of Isaiah, they point to that. And this is one of them that does it, that he was without deceit. He shines. Jesus' sinless and obedience are essential. Okay? They are essential. The old creation was governed by disobedience and death. And that quickly led to violence and deceit. You only have to read the rest of Genesis. Actually, violence and deceit are on the early pages. But Christmas 
is all about a new creation. It's about the birth of a new Adam that will lead to life and not death. The blameless one was born, and we looked at that last week with the virgin birth. But this blameless one, Jesus, would now stand where Adam fell. This is why his life is so important, not only his ministry. He would stand where Adam fell. He would overcome where Adam fell. He would obey where Adam disobeyed. He was faithful where Adam was faithless. This is Jesus. That's why his life is so important. It's summed up in the verse in Romans, which says this, for if by the trespass of the one man, if by the trespass, yeah, if by the trespass of the one man, how much, no, I, I didn't put all the verse up there. I will read you the full verse, okay? For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one, that was my mistake, by the way, and not our magnificent projector operator, who we will now applaud for. The mistake was at source. Okay? If by the trespass of the one man, death reigns through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's why his life matters. In being our saviour, Jesus became the second Adam, the last Adam, who brings life, not death. Hallelujah. Then we see sinless and obedience gives us help. It helps us. You know, we've seen the beauty of it. And then we've seen that it's essential to Jesus being the second Adam. And then we find, actually, it really, really helps us. This isn't kind of distant. This is real down-to-earth truth. There are two verses, two life-changing verses from Hebrews, which both talk about temptation. One is in Hebrews 4, and then we'll come to this one. The first one says this, we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with that, who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. why his life matters. Tempted in every way, just as we are. How are you tempted? Now, I asked for responses earlier. No need for response on this. But just think. How are you tempted? Jesus grew through boyhood, became a young man, fully man. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. His sinlessness helps us. He 
empathizes with our weakness. This is where we live in the reality of these bodies and the world and we have an enemy. And those three things are bombarding us so we live with temptation every day of our lives. Is that not true? Yet yeah, tempted in every way just as we are. And then the second verse is it because he himself was tempted he is able to help, help, help us who are being tempted. That is such an important verse. And we can so easily forget it. You see, at that point of temptation, it's like all my senses, all my kind of stuff that goes on, you know, my desires, all that stuff that gets activated at that point of temptation, it can blot out this truth that Jesus is with me right at that point and he can help me. Jesus, sinless and obedient, it helps us, it gives us help. And, 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 and we find that his resistance to temptation, it goes way beyond anything we've known. A later verse in Hebrews says this, that in your struggle against sin, your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus resisted fully, all the way, totally, completely. And that gives us help. It helps us. at the very time and the very point of temptation. And then, just the final one, is this. His, his sinlessness, his being sinless and obedient, meant the perfect sacrifice. You see, his life was inextricably linked to the meaning and the effectiveness of his death. Back in the Old Testament again, we, we read, you can read about it in Numbers, and, and how, you know, for those sacrifices in that time under the Old Covenant, the, 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 the lamb offered for sacrifice had to be perfect. Had to be spotless, without defect. And in doing that, that's another Advent preach, pointing you forward to one who would live a spotless, pure life without defect. So Peter, in his letter, he picks that up and, and says this, for you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. I keep missing bits out, don't I? Yeah, no, that's right. It, it, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You see, the purity of his life meant the perfect sacrifice. The Lamb of God was killed for our sin. The once and for all perfect sacrifice for our sin. He 
sanctified his life. In other words, he lived in that obedience to the Father for our sake. And then if we just go back to Isaiah 53, just where we started, it said there, we all like sheep have gone astray. That's us. We blindly follow. We go astray. We are lost. But then he goes on to read, but there was one led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, we all like sheep went astray. If you don't know Jesus this morning, that so sums up our lives. You know, we're surrounded by sheep, don't we? We don't need that to be reminded of the powerfulness of that illustration. You only have to walk down one of our lanes, longings, and you see them. We all like sheep. We've gone astray. That's life without Jesus. But the answer to us going astray is that there was one who had led like a lamb to slaughter. And he was pure. He was perfect. And he was killed for our sake so that we can be washed clean through the shedding of his blood. Through his sacrifice, we are made righteous. And that's the wonder of it. And that's where we're going to finish. And this is the, that we're going to be breaking bread and sharing in the, in the cup of the, the new covenant together. We're going to be breaking bread together and remembering his death for us, but also his resurrection for us. Because in an amazing way, it's not just a, a, where we've got to is amazing in itself, that he should lay down his life for us. But he rose and somehow what happened there in his sacrifice as he took our sin, so he then exchanged it for his righteousness. So everything that is true of him as he lived now becomes our history in him as our second Adam. So we are now made righteous. It's quite amazing. I find when I, you know, obviously you, know, you prepare for a preach like this and I, I kind of wanted to get this point and I find that I'm questioning myself, is this really, really true? Really, i really, really sure. I go back to the verses Check it out. Is it really true? It is true. That on the cross, it says it in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to finish with this verse. It says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So his sinlessness and obedience one, all of that for us. So we now come before the Father in heaven in his righteousness. It's not just the slate is wiped clean. We come in his righteousness. It's remarkable. 
I know you're all getting very excited behind those masks. I can see it in your eyes. But really, this is remarkable. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Dear, uh, dear friend, if you don't know Jesus, please, please hear this. That Jesus came, yes, to shine light on our sin, but to be the answer to our sin, and then we receive him, and then somehow we share, we're part of his light. Jesus is the light of the world, but we're now in his light. We've come out of darkness, we're in his light. And we can shine with his righteousness. Oh, yeah, we still live in these bodies. They get tempted. Well, he helps us in our time of temptation. We can grow to be like Jesus. Our lives can change. Not through the old ways of the Pharisees of trying to put on a spiritual veneer, but by letting this Jesus work in our lives by his spirit, that he works in us and through us. The perfect sacrifice becomes the most wonderful exchange. Let's celebrate that as we break bread together. Let's feed on this Jesus. Sinless, obedient, obedient to the Father. Let's somehow let it, the, the truth of that kind of refresh our thinking about obedience as well. It's not a sterile thing. It's not just behaving ourselves. It's about learning to follow Jesus and find that the greatest joy is to please our Father in heaven. If you don't know Jesus, can I encourage you as we just have this short time together now, just really think about this. In fact, I'm going to pray a prayer now so you can know Jesus, which means you can then share in the bread and the wine together. And if we do know Jesus, let's really celebrate his life together. But I'm just going to lead a quite specific prayer for those who don't know Jesus, that you can say yes to him in your heart, which means you can enjoy what these symbols speak of in the reality of your own life. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we are amazed at who you are. Forgive us when we take stuff for granted. Forgive us when in our smallness of thinking we think we know it, or we've got it, or we've heard it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonder of who you are. And Lord Jesus, I come to you knowing that I need you. You alone are the answer to my sin, to my disobedience, to the mess that I make of stuff. You alone are the answer to that.
And Lord, I come to you in my need, in my brokenness. And I say, Lord, I confess my sin. But I receive you. I receive your light. I receive you into my life. I want this exchange. My sin gone to receive your righteousness. Come and do that in my life, that I will be yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.